So the only thing better than having Chris Nee and Josh Newberg here to talk recruiting is an agitated uh, Josh Newberg and an actually very calm Chris Nee. So uh, as we start our recruiting podcast here, uh, I'm Brendan Sano with Knowles 24-7. Joining me is the tandem of Nieberg, I guess, says you guys. How, how did the whole Nieberg thing uh, begin? When did that tandem start? I guess about four or five years ago when I came over and joined forces with my favorite Jewish brother. So we have Nieberg, and that's Chris Nee's voice that you're hearing. Uh, both of them are joining me over Skype, so if the audio is a little wonky, uh, apologies. And uh, the big news of the day before we start getting into recruiting here is that Josh Newberg cannot find his headphones anywhere. It's been about a 20-minute process to uh, to get him onto the podcast here. And uh, uh, fair to say a little bit on tilt right now, Josh? Is that is that accurate? Uh, yeah, I'm... Um you know, trying to keep it between the lines here for this non-explicit podcast. So I'll just, uh, I'll just say that I have a big issue with losing headphones and the last, I'd say hour and 15 minutes has just been pure hell for me. So you guys are lucky to have me. Let's just put it that way. Cause my computer almost got tossed about 15 minutes ago. So you hear that we are lucky to have Josh, the, the, how things have changed. Like, uh, two weeks ago, he was wanting to be on the podcast. Now he's been on it once. It was a huge hit, and now we're lucky to have him. So this is this is how uh, how expectations are weighed and changed in you know, life. I get a little irrational when things don't go my way, and um, let's just say I'm here. Let's go. Guys. All right, all right. You you are allowed to you, be positive from here. On. All right, you are allowed to curse. Like I think we established that last week, and nothing happened. So I mean, let's keep it stuff that would be on Comedy Central, maybe like in the ten o'clock range, but. You are allowed to drop a, a couple bombs there. I'm not going to, though. I'm oh. not going to do what everybody thinks I'm going to do. All right, good. <laughs> good. All right, so let's get into it, guys. There's a ton of recruiting stuff to talk about. Some uh, kind of backtracking a little bit going uh, back a week, some going forward. We're recruiting the, or sorry, we're uh, re- recording the recruiting podcast here on, uh, oh God, is it Thursday? Yeah, it's Thursday afternoon and in a couple hours. So probably by the time you're listening to this or maybe even afterwards, uh, Florida State could have a commitment. Let, let's start with that. There is a uh, uh, Asante Samuel Jr. cornerback uh, recruit, uh, pretty highly rated. Uh, it's deciding between Florida State and Miami at 4 p.m. on Thursday. So again, on a few hours from when we're recording the podcast here, uh, could be making this decision. Uh, Chris, can you kind of take us into uh, Asante's recruitment and kind of where everything stands right now entering this afternoon? I expect Asante Samuel to choose Florida State this afternoon. Miami's really only in there, so there's a school you can play it off of. Um, you can't choose, you know, when you only have one school to choose from. With Florida State, he visited in late February. He visited again in early April. First one was a junior day. Second one was a spring game. He nearly committed in February when he visited, but his mother was unable to make that visit. She came with him in April, left very impressed. So, you know, by 4, 4.30 this afternoon, I expect Asante Samuel to be a seminal. Josh, what kind of player, if Florida State does get him as you – know, Chris, you have him crystal ball. Josh, you do too to Florida State. Is that right? Yeah, he's been – you know, Florida State's been the leader for a long time. He's a technician on the field. Florida State loves his film. Um, he doesn't test in camp as well as some of the other cornerbacks on the board. But the evaluations are done first and foremost on film, and, you know, that's what – that's what Florida State likes about him. So Florida State does get the commit from him as planned. I guess what does the cornerback board look like in 2018? I guess how many more guys are they still focusing on or hoping for at that point? Uh, well, 
Go ahead, Josh. They're still in it for a good bit of talent. And I mean, um, they're always going to take a, a larger class um, of corners because of how many play and the turnover rate at Florida State. You know, all these guys go in pro early. So at the top of the board remains Patrick Sertan. Um, you got Anthony Light in a five-star corner out of Maryland that Florida State's very high on. And he's, he's said that Florida State's his dream school for a while now. They're in on Christian Tut, a uh, cornerback out of Georgia. Um, you know, they're, the board's pretty big. I, I think they take at least four DBs in this class. Would you agree with that, Chris? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Another name I would include in that group is Jalen Armour Davis, the kid from Mobile. Right. Yeah, he's more of a safety. Um, all these guys are kind of interchangeable outside of Asante. I think Asante is going to be kind of a nickel, nickel guy for them. Um, yeah, it's, it's a strong year. And, you know, other guys like Nadab Joseph, who we know will camp in the summer, um, they like to save a spot or two to find somebody that emerges in the summer. So I don't think they're going to be in a big rush to fill out this class. Patrick Sertain isn't expected to return until the summer for a visit. So I think we're going to see kind of a, a lull in, in cornerback recruiting but in, in terms of commitments. But we could see more names added to the board in the spring and in the summer. Yeah, a good example of them adding a name is Kyle Myers. Myers was a guy that kind of walked into FSU's camp as an unknown. He's a guy that I believe Jeremiah, who's Charles Kelly's primary assistant, he's a GA, defensive GA, Jeremiah Wilson. He'd been real involved with him, Ad has uh, Charles Kelly. And um, they brought him in, camped, loved him, you know, green-lighted it, he committed. And now he's a guy that's playing kind of a big role for them. But, you know, at this point of his recruiting cycle, he wasn't a guy we were speaking on very much. Right. And, and, and Malik Jackson, you know, the list goes on. Um, there'll almost certainly be at least one name that pops up this summer that that wasn't on the board. And, you know, that goes for multiple positions, just not not just defensive back. Going off that, guys, you know, we're entering – we're now entering not the dog days of summer because there's still you know spring football is about to start but so spring football for Florida State is done and to clarify spring football now for high schools is about to start in what a couple weeks here um what what is this process like for Florida State in terms of evaluation uh how you know how frequently are coaches on the road I guess for, for people that aren't aware this the next month or so what's the what's the process like for the assistants how often are they on the road that kind of stuff well, the evaluation period opens up here in a couple days, the middle of April, and it runs till the end of May. For Florida State, they kind of they start slower that first week. They're not as active. They'll hit the road some that last week of April. They're extremely active in May. They're going to see kids twice. You get an academic and an athletic visit. Academic is basically checking on transcripts, things of that sort. Athletic is more so watching them practice, possibly a spring game things of that sort. You can't really have a whole lot of contact. You can have kind of a bump and a hello with the kid, but you're not going to do a whole lot of in-person, like verbal recruiting. It's more so an, an opportunity to simply put yourself in front of the kid, let the kid know you're interested. You're also able to kind of gauge the height, the weight, how they're doing. If they're a kid, you need to keep up with from an academic standpoint, that kind of stuff. You can pass along information to their high school coaches on camps, you know, Hey, we want to get this kid to campus you know, whether it's June, July for a camp or simply for a visit in May, June, July, they're going to push pretty hard to get kids on campus over the next, you know, 75 days before the season rolls around. 
So as we you know talk about a guy who could be committing, let's backtrack a little bit. And I know this is kind of old news, about a week old, but well, Florida State, well, some of it's a week old, some of it's not so old, but they've gotten three commits in the past week or so, starting with Patrick Joyner uh, out of Homestead, a defensive end commit in South Florida uh, about a week ago. And, and I got a chance to kind of look at his uh, his highlight tapes and go a little closer. I don't pay as much attention to the recruiting stuff as you guys do, obviously, until he's kind of... Uh, until Florida State's really in it with a guy or has secured him. And, and I really liked Joyner's film. I thought that of the three defensive end commits that they have so far, even though he's the lowest ranked and actually the lowest ranked guy in the 2018 class, like his game seems like it will translate very easily to the to the college level, or at least you can kind of see how his game will translate. And what, what, I guess, Chris, start off with you. What are your thoughts on, on Patrick Joyner and um, I guess where does he project at, at the next level for you? Well, you kind of hit on it in the piece you wrote where you said that he's very much got some similarities to Jacob Pugh. He's kind of that hybrid and linebacker buck can do a few things and play to different levels. He has a nice frame that he can grow into at college level as he gets into a strength and conditioning and nutrition program. Um, I think he's truthfully made the best of the three defensive end commitments, even though he's kind of a linebacker defensive end just because I think he knows what he is. Coyote um, is kind of an unknown. He's a high-ceiling guy who's going to develop. And Stacy Kirby's, you know, kind of a niche guy. I don't think he can do a little bit of everything like Joyner can. So I think it's a pretty valuable commitment for them. I think he's a guy that's going to be able to, you know, learn the ropes, probably play behind Josh Brown when he gets on campus. And we've seen that, you know, in that role, you're not going to play a ton when you're a reserve, but you can learn and kind of grow into the position as time goes. Kind of a off topic, but you mentioned Buck linebacker. What's the what's the difference at this point in FSU scheme and terminology between Sam, Jack, and Buck? I feel like they're almost we use them interchangeably because it defines like a hybrid guy. But what Jack linebacker is like a bigger defensive end, or I, I at this point it seems like even the coaches kind of when Jimbo talks he uses it not interchangeably, but it, it the difference between who plays there seems kind of indiscernible at this point to me. Well, I think Sam and Buck is basically completely changeable it's basically one and the same with jack i think he's a little more of an edge setter okay. more of a bigger body kind of guy um you know I, I don't really view fsu as using the jack compared to like alabama like i don't think they have guys that fit that role like alabama does but they clearly like kind of a buck defensive end you know who's a guy who can speed rush off the edge can drop into pass coverage can play against the run can kind of be a jack of all trades and do a little bit of everything yeah, they tried to do the the infuse uh, Jack into their uh, defense, have the bigger stand up uh, outside linebacker when they first first went to the Alabama esque defense and wasn't super successful. And then we have like Chris Casher covering guys, you know, fifteen twenty yards downfield, and <laughs> that didn't seem to work out too well. So, uh, anyways, I like Patrick Joyner, and I thought that that he again, there's something to be said for a guy like knowing what he is as a player. Chris, like you said, he's kind of comfortable in, in his own skin and knows exactly what he is as a as an edge rusher. Uh, Josh, what do you think the defensive end kind of board looks like at, at this point? Uh, are they set with the three they have, or is this kind of still you know Florida State going to continue to load up on the, these type of interchangeable edge rushers? Yeah, they're going to continue to load up, and I'm not convinced that Stacey Kirby is going to end up in this class for Florida State. Um, but, you know, at the top of the board, a guy that we've talked about uh, today in, in a recent article was Micah Parsons from Penn State. I think he's kind of the top target right now. Expect him to be on campus this summer. I heard he's coming in with his coach. Um, Parsons was at Ohio State over the weekend. 
And, you know, he's a six foot three, 235 pound weak side pass rusher. FSU's been in on him for about a year now. They've been recruiting him hard. Um, he's committed to Penn State, but he's still taking visits and he's still looking around. So they do have a shot there. Um, after that, I don't, I mean, what, Chris, who else is on the board after that? You got um, probably going to take what, a total of three to four? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm I'm in agreement with you that they'll probably shed Kirby unless he progresses really well in the coming weeks and months. Um, not convinced he'll be in there. I think Micah Parsons is a guy that they'll let the process play out and pursue until the very end just because he's ultra-talented. He fits what they want to do. And, you know, that's kind of how they do defensive end recruiting. We saw that with Kando last year. I think after that, that's a position where the camp's going to kind of determine who else they're truly going to pursue. Um, yeah. You know, they loved a guy like Xavier Thomas, but he's off the board to Clemson. I don't see him reconsidering. Uh, you know, the other two guys that they've offered that haven't committed at strong side, they're not really in a position with. One name I think is worth knowing is Nick Benito. Not convinced he becomes an FSU target, but I think he's a guy they'd like to see get on campus. He hasn't been there yet, to my knowledge, this year. He didn't make it in February. He didn't make it for the spring game. So he's a guy I think they'll give a look to, and they'll probably keep pursuing Justin Maskell. Well, another- I think Benito's smart if he if he stays off campus because if he st- he if he comes on campus, I I don't think FSU is going to offer him. He just doesn't have the size. Um, I saw him down at Nike, and I just can't imagine Florida State recruiting him. I mean, with Joiner, he's a, he's a bit undersized, but he makes up for it in length. Whereas Bonito's about six foot two, and I just. Uh, you know, we've seen what Florida State likes to recruit and something about his style of play. I, I just ultimately don't see FSU pursuing him. But I agree with what you said. I think they're in a position where they're going to slow down defensive end recruiting and find somebody new in the spring, in the summer. But you know what? how Florida State recruits. I mean, we say that Xavier Thomas, it doesn't look like they're going to get back in it. But, you know, we would have said that after Kando committed. and Right. And a lot of these guys. So, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I have no reason to believe that they'll be back in it for Xavier Thomas, but <laughs> just the way that they recruit, you can never count that out totally. Yeah, FSU is a team that they're not going to bag a kid, but if a kid has a second season of recruiting, a commitment has a second season of recruiting, they'll throw their hat right back in the ring if it's a kid they value. You know, I think Xavier Thomas and Justin Maskell are two committed defensive ends that definitely fit that definition. If they, you know, kind of loosen up on those Clemson commitments, I think FSU will be right there to try to yeah. flip them. And, you know, the staff is going to be hitting these back roads of Alabama and South Georgia and in the middle of the state, Florida. They're going to turn over some rocks and find some new targets. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be concerned about the defensive board at all right now, the defensive end board. All right, so that transitioned us to uh... – a couple more commitments. Uh, it was a uh, a busy uh, spring uh, spring weekend for you guys for sure. Uh, it was busy for me covering the game and doing the, some some of the stuff afterwards after Saturday's spring game. But uh, you two had your hands full covering recruiting and kind of hanging out by the Bobby Bowden statue. I saw uh, Chris on the field shaking hands <laughs> with 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 players and meeting all kinds of guys when we were up in the press box finishing up stuff. So uh, busy. You guys were everywhere. Uh, kind of take us through the. The spring weekend for you, uh, two commits, maybe you guys get into that, but just basically what the whole uh, spring day was like for you from beginning to end in terms of coverage for you. 
Uh, it was about 12 hours. I mean, kids started arriving around 9 a.m. and kids weren't done until about 8 p.m., so 11 hours of, you know, keeping an eye on who stepped on campus. They did a really good job of getting a lot of kids. With the 7-on-7 seven seven event in town, some kids came by themselves on their own. Some of those teams even visited, but there's rules that don't allow them to meet coaches and things like that. Like, for example, after the game, Cam Newton's team went out on the field at Doak, kind of looked around and walked around the stadium but they weren't able to meet with coaches and stuff because of NCAA rules. But that's a really talented bunch of kids that at least got a chance to lay eyes on the facilities and the campus because of the event. But as far as kids that were able to meet with the coaches, we saw a lot of good 2018 talent, guys like Asante Samuel, for example, and then a lot of good 2019 talent like Wanye Morris, Kenyatta Watson, two guys that committed um, while they were here this weekend are a couple good examples of guys that made it in. Oh. You mentioned Wanya Morris and Kenyatta Watson, two uh, two commits that Florida State got this weekend from uh, Grayson High School in Georgia. Uh, I guess for for those who who don't follow, you know, super closely, uh, Wanya Morris is a pretty big get for Florida State. Correct. I watched a little bit of his highlight film after he committed, and doesn't look like the super typical Rick Trickett offensive lineman. Not not a real girthy guy, but man, really really athletic. Uh, has a big butt, so you kind of assume he's going to grow into his frame a little bit, but. That that was a big snack for Florida State, correct? Yeah, he's a big uh, six foot five, two hundred and seventy pound athlete, and I call him an athlete, not a lineman. Um, talk, I spoke to Rusty Menzel shortly after these two committed, and, and Rusty's our Georgia publisher, and he's very active with the MVP camps that him and Chad Simmons put on in the state of Georgia. So he's seen these guys, and he's seen them compete in camps and in pads. And he told me Wanya Morris was a huge get for Florida State. He thinks he's an elite offensive tackle, uh, franchise-type player, or franchise-type potential, I should say. Because Rusty, like, you know, he told me, this is how you want a soon-to-be junior to look. You don't want six foot five, 305 pounds heading into his, salt, into his junior year. That's bad weight. So you get six foot five, 270, he's going to grow into being a uh, franchise-left tackle. And then you pick up Kenyatta Watson, a safety at six foot two, 180 pounds. Uh, two great commitments and two two guys that are influential with some of these kids in Georgia for 2019. Yeah, what is the the fallout? Or uh, fallout may not be the right the right phrase, but uh, what's the ripple effect coming from these two guys? You mentioned the the impact that they may have with other. Uh, yeah. Georgia players. So, so you get these two guys from Grayson, but but that may have some inroads or may lay some some groundwork for for other recruits down the road. Correct? Yeah, um, I'll let Chris, Chris kind of explained it to me a week ago. I I knew what was going on. I didn't fully understand it, but uh, Chris explained come, it to me. So go ahead. Chris. Come on, knee lay it on us. Well, in Georgia, there's a whole True 19 movement. True 19 was a group of 2019 prospects from the state of Georgia that played an All Star event against 2019 prospects from Texas. Uh, Grant Gannell is a good example of a Texas kid that was involved in that game. Jalen Curry is another good example of an FSU target Texas kid that was involved in that game. From the Georgia perspective, all those guys talk. Kenyatta, Wanye, Ronald Tompkins, Owen Popo, uh, Jay Sean Sheffield, and the list goes on and on. And, you know, a lot of those guys I just mentioned are major FSU targets. So to kind of get the ball rolling with that bunch – you can kind of lay out a map for FSU to do a really good job in the Peach State in 2019. And, you know, let's be honest, FSU hasn't recruited Georgia fantastically in recent years, but 
But if they're able to pull off what they're working towards in 2019, they can get, you know, five, six of the nation's best players and a handful of other guys that will help them win a lot of football games from the Peach State. And once you lay groundwork like that, it makes recruiting future classes from that state easier. Because, you know, something a coach told, I think he said to me and Josh one time a few years ago, it's real easy to recruit the next kid that reminds you of a former kid. For example, if you're dealing with a kid from Georgia in 2020, but you have a kid on campus from 2018 from Georgia, those two can relate. It makes the job of recruiting the future kid a lot easier. So I didn't know that perception's out there. Florida State hasn't done necessarily an ex- a great job recruiting Georgia because I always kind of assumed that, that, that Georgia had been kind of kind to Florida State uh, over over the years. Has that fallen off some? Yeah, I mean, they got Leonard Warner last year. That was an excellent yeah. kid. They have a few others on the roster from there. But I think it's fair to say in the last two, three cycles, they've struggled to some degree in that state. Some of that is Alabama and Auburn have been going in there. Clemson also does a good job in North Georgia. And, of course, Georgia, when Kirby Smart came in, kind of got the new coach bump. So it was kind of a tough road to hoe to go up there and pull some kids out. But, you know, I think we've seen a healthy turn of the tide with momentum for FSU in that state with the 2018 and 2019 classes. But it's really simple. I mean, if, if you even take a step further and figure out why this is happening right now, and I, I saw a lot of fans on both the Florida State and the Georgia message boards trying to figure out why this is happening. And it's simple. We always say this, recruiting lags. People think in 2013 when Florida State won the national championship that over the course of the next three or four weeks they were going to land all the recruits. But that's not really how it happens. You develop a, uh, you develop your teams at a younger age, the team that you root for growing up. And right now, think about what happened four years ago when Florida State won the national championship. The kids that are making these decisions right now were 12 and 13 years old. So, of course, that they grew up on Jameis Winston. That was when they were impressionable and young. And it was the same thing with the Tebow effect. I mean, the Tebow effect was three, four years down the road, we're interviewing kids, and they're saying, we ask them, Why, oh, what do you like about Florida? Oh, well, Tim Tebow, and they won, and they did this, and they did that. And even if kids don't want to admit it now, this is why all these kids in Georgia, that's why Florida State has their attention. Because when they were younger and when they were impressionable, Florida State was making their run and Jameis Winston was was the king of Florida. So you look at it now and, and these are just some of the benefits of what happens when you win a national championship. Yeah, it's, it's also a matter of recruiting in the long game. You know, Kenyatta is a guy who's been on campus a lot in the last, you know, 15 months. Him and Owen came over last February. They came back this February. And then, of course, Kenyatta came again for the spring game and committed at that point. So... It's not like FSU just started recruiting some of these guys. They've dealt with a lot of these guys for a year plus. Even though they were 2019 prospects, they've been invested in recruiting them for over 12 months. You know, Wanya came in February, got offered, came back in April, commits. So it's not like any of this is instantaneous, spontaneous commitments. These are things that work has been put in on. I believe FSU made a concerted effort to get better in Georgia over the last 18, 24 months. You know, some of that is really good upcoming talent. The 2019 class in Georgia is a pretty special crop. So I think you make an extra effort when you see that kind of talent in a state. And that that was true when FSU found success in Alabama. There was a really good crop coming up led by a guy named Jameis Winston. But you had other really good, talented players in that state. And FSU made a solid effort over multiple years of getting in and building strong relationships in that state. And it paid off with some great commitments. 
who helped them win a lot of football games. So it's another example of FSU knows how to kind of play, set up a playbook for success and recruit. Chris Casher was a five-star recruit from Alabama. How crazy is that in hindsight? Yeah, he was supposed to be good. It never <laughs> happened, but he was. Yeah. Um, I, I remember to Josh's point about yeah, the, the how it can take a couple of years. I mean, Jimbo Fisher said this you know, on record a couple times immediately after they won a national championship that the, the bump they were expecting to get on the recruiting uh, trail wasn't really going to be felt until you know a couple years down the road and we've kind of seen that come to fruition I mean they've always recruited well anyways but they uh you know they, they've been able to uh, kind of expand their brand and, and go beyond you know what their normal you know maybe radius and baseline has been uh, you know going out to California to get a guy like a Malik Henry a couple years ago we've seen you know those those inroads kind of be set and and the pipelines established now to Texas uh, Florida State's brand has kind of grown uh, over the last couple of years since winning the national championship. It wasn't in class and maybe immediately after where they went really Florida heavy, if I'm not mistaken. I think that 2014 class was, well, that was Dalvin Cook and that was Travis Rudolph and Herman Lane and a lot of the big time guys from Florida. Uh, they've kind of expanded since then. But anyways, going back to Georgia, uh, we got a, uh, keep it keep it in, in the Peach State there, Justin Fields. Uh, was one of the guys who was uh, supposed to be in Tallahassee this past weekend and a, a, a blue-chip quarterback from 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 the Georgia area. Uh, guys, I guess, what what developments have there been? We talked about them last week during the recruiting podcast and, and obviously some uh, some big developments uh, on, on his end in this past week or so. The major development is Justin Fields keeps lying to me. <laughs> I mean, I talked to him in... So I know that Florida State's been recruiting Justin Fields for a while now, and I know there's been contact. And I went up to him at the Nike camp, and I asked him about you know where things stood with Florida State, and I, and he and he just kind of denied it and said that he's not talking. And I and I didn't go up to him asking if Florida State's recruiting him. I know Florida State was recruiting him, and he denied that there was any contact, and he just downplayed it and said, you know, I might make it over to Florida State, but he really. He really tried to downplay it and make it sound like nothing was going on. So the rumors were swirling that him and his dad were going to make it over to campus. Actually, they weren't even rumors. Let's just be honest. An assistant coach on uh, Cam Newton's team told me and Chris that, hey, I think Justin Fields and his dad are going to go over. So the tournament ends and they celebrate and Fields is kind of walking off. And I grab him and I just said that. I don't, I don't need an interview, but I just want to know, are you going to make a visit over to Florida State now that the tournament's over? Again, no, no. I, I, got, I, got, I got just drove in. I'm with my team. I got, I got to get back home. So I'm like, okay, and I just walk away. And Chris Knee texts me 15 minutes later and says, hey, Justin Fields and his dad just walked into the Moore Center. <laughs> so, again, I don't, none of this, I'm not taking any of it personally. I understand what's going on. Justin Fields is very low key. He's soft spoken. I don't think he wants any of this out. I don't think he cares for a circus to follow him. He doesn't want us asking questions. So the reason he's lying is because there's, there's interest. And I shouldn't say lying. The reason he's downplaying it all is because there is legit interest and there is something going on. And at the same time, he's committed to Penn state. He wants to respect, uh, coach Franklin in that program and he doesn't want to make it seem like he's shopping himself and looking around, but that's what's happening. 
That's a really good thing for Florida State, just kind of looking at it for, for what it is. If he's not being completely uh, you know, forthcoming with that, there's a reason why he's not. Right. That's really good yeah, news for Florida State in that story. sense. I mean, you know, it all tells the story. So it it's going to get interesting. I expect Fields to be back on campus. Hell, it could be a secret visit that we don't ever find out about, knowing the way that this recruitment's been going. But I do expect him to be back on campus. Me and Chris were both told that, you know, Dad definitely has interest in Florida State as well. So that's always good when you when you talk about quarterbacks. It always seems like it's a family decision with these guys. So um, we're just we're just at the tip of the recruitment with Justin Fields. I don't expect his recruitment to change his status with Penn State to change anytime soon. I think if he does flip, it would probably be something that happens like toward the end of summer, maybe even during his season. So just sit back and enjoy the ride. Yeah. And uh, to add to all that, you know, the minute they walked into the more, I knew when they walked out, there was probably a 2% chance I was going to be able to speak to them. I did not expect them to stop. I didn't expect them to talk. That's just not the way they're operating in this recruitment. You know, I, I think the truth is they're pretty solid to Penn State, but they're also willing to look at others. I think Florida State is one of those others that truly intrigues them. Um, I don't know how many people have had the opportunity to see this uh, story that Steve Wolfong, our national analyst, wrote last evening. But he got a few comments from Justin and basically was, when FSU comes calling, you pay a little attention. They have history at the position. A lot of players have gone on to make a lot of money. Obviously, Jameis is a guy kind of, carrying the torch for FSU at the quarterback position long-term. So, you know, I, I'm with Josh. I, if anything happened in April or even May, I'd be pretty shocked. I just don't expect the kid to be in any rush to do anything drastic. But I think he's going to take a legitimate look at FSU. At some point, I expect, you know, either a full day or a multi-day visit where they learn every in and out, spend a lot of time with Randy Sanders, a lot of time with Jimbo Fisher, learn about how the quarterback's life is at Florida State. And, you know, I, I think they're going to truly weigh it. I'm not convinced he flips. I'm not convinced he changes. I know he likes Penn State a great deal, and they did a good job of being on him early. But I think FSU is going to be able to get a fair shot at the kid. It just goes to show how different uh, quarterback recruitments are than anywhere else. I mean, you're setting a timeline, Josh. I thought it was kind of – you say, you know, in the regular season, possibly. Like, that's really, really late for a quarterback. We touched on that a little bit last week, but – uh, this is kind of it's just so different the way quarterback recruitments are handled than than any other position. Is that just the nature of kind of guys being quarterbacks are almost more kind of political and faces of programs in high school and expect to be that for college? Is it, it why is it such a different approach typically when we're talking about quarterbacks being recruited than, than any other position? Well, first and foremost quarterback isn't like wide receiver db where we're talking about taking three and four Mm -hmm. so quarterback you know you're usually one maybe two and style of play matters so much like we said about other positions you know you can be a linebacker you could be you could play all three linebacking positions um and, and and find find a place to play but at quarterback you know it's one guy getting snapped so He's got to find a place where he fits numbers-wise and schematically. And these guys tend to make early decisions because they're also the centerpiece of the class. And they know by committing early that they can help build a, a class around them, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yes. Much easier to recruit at wide receiver when you have a quarterback committed than not. You can interchange guys. It just seems like there's a very uh, CEO kind of feel to, to most quarterback 
uh, commitments. And like you said, they kind of represent the rest of the class. Uh, one other quarterback that was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that was on campus uh, during the spring game was uh, Grant Gannell from uh, from Texas. Was, was he? He did make it there, correct? I did read that right. Yeah, he got in on Friday, spent mm-hmm. a little time, and then he was there all day Saturday, left early Sunday morning. So that's a, a 2019 guy. What kind of impression did Florida State make on him? And you know, he's he's pretty high up on the board for them, so that obviously uh, was an important visit for, for Florida State, I'd imagine. I'll let Josh answer. He spoke to Grant on the exit interview. Yeah, I spoke to Grant um, and his father on the way out. You know, Grant said all the right things. Grant's very politically correct when it comes to talking about a program after the visit. He's not going to get too high. He's not going to get too low. He's he's not going to give much away. You know, I, I asked if Florida State stands out at this point. He kind of had a big smile and said, you'll find out soon. And I said, what does that mean? Are you going to narrow your list? He's like, yeah probably a top six by by the end of spring now a top six is for anybody that reads what we write a top fsu making a top six should be no surprise i think if grant narrowed his list down to a top two florida state would make it and it would be florida state and texas a&m um his dad told me you know off mic that this was the best visit he's been on and this was he he texted me before and said that this would be an important visit because he had never been to Florida State, but Grant spoke very highly of it, and, and uh, he wanted to check it out for himself. So he came, and, and as I was interviewing Grant, I mean, he's sitting there telling me that they're coming back in July. Um, his dad has since texted me and said that they might be back in June as well. Um, Grant won't make a decision until end of summer at the earliest. He had been pretty adamant that there'd be a summer decision. In the last two times that I spoke to him, he's kind of backed off that stance a little bit and said that if he's ready, he'll make a summer decision. And he always makes sure to correct me when I say a summer decision's coming and he'll be like, if I'm ready. So I kind of feel some hesitation beginning to set in. But if he makes two visits to Florida State this summer, um, I think that bodes really, really well for the Seminoles. And if those two visits do happen, I think he does commit in the summer. Yeah. yeah and another thing to know on Gunnell is that guys like Jalen Curry that were part of the True 19 game played with Grant, real good friend with Grant. Jalen's never been to FSU, and yet they're arguably his top two schools with Texas A&M. So he's a guy that's kind of danced around it, but in some ways said he would like to play with Grant at the next level. So I think that kind of indicates even further that this is kind of a two-horse race right now. There might be other schools that he's looking at, but A&M and FSU have definitely done something to kind of stand out with him. Yeah, he won't admit it, but I will. And if a guy from Texas is coming to Florida State twice in a couple months span, that's probably pretty pretty telling, too. Not necessarily an easy uh, an easy trip. Yeah, right. And he, and he was on campus last summer for, for camp as well, so... Yeah, he came with his coach, and his coach was tied to Maven Saunders when Maven played ball over there, too. So there's some pre-existing ties for FSU with people close to him as well. All right, so that's good news for, for Florida State. It's been a very productive uh, last week. Uh, both uh, both uh, sides of the, the Nieberg duo have certainly earned their, uh, earned their paycheck. Uh, maybe Josh can use some of that to go out and buy some uh, – some more headphones that he can eventually oh, lose. Man, why you got to bring that up? Sorry, I want to leave you on a high note uh, and just kind of have you stewing for the rest of the day. Is that is that okay? 
I am stewing. Let me tell you, I almost when we were about to go on, I just I almost canceled. I just, I, would, I just I'm not in the right mindset. Very pouty. Uh, for for the, we're doing this on Skype and uh, or I guess technically Google Hangout, but it's it. Josh is kind of laying in his bed right now with his head on his pillow and uh, very diva esque right now. Chris is also in his bed, but but more kind of in tune with uh, leaning forward to the computer. This is just an interesting body language right now. Um, to- <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm not, mine not. Right. we're doing the uh, Big Three Roll-Up podcast tonight, too, so Ooh. double pod duty for me today. <laughs> Josh is all about first world problems, dragging them down, I just take it all in stride. You guys both have immaculate-looking pillows and comforters going on, too. It looks very cozy on, on the other side of my computer here. This is how we recover from being outside for 30 hours straight on Saturday. You know what? You actually don't know if Chris and I aren't on the same in the same bed. <laughs> laying at the foot of it and me laying <laughs> I, I can confirm we're not in the same bed. The lighting's very different. No, I don't it doesn't look like it's the same the same bed. But maybe someday we can get you guys both in the same king size uh, doing a podcast there. It'd be a very interesting uh, well, podcast. Two four seven team just does the podcast <laughs> sitting in bed. For Ferrante recorded his from a you know, our uh, our football uh, our football one podcast the other day in a beanbag I think so we're always kind of finding interesting ways to record the podcast uh, beanbags no <laughs> correct so any other recruiting stuff guys before uh, before we uh, log off here I think we've touched on pretty much everything that's happened in the last week and and I guess the stuff for. Immediately, this will partially be obsolete in the next couple hours. So please listen to us before 4 p.m. I think next week we should uh, maybe take like five questions because it's kind of hard to make sure we hit on all the topics that people want to hear about. So maybe at the end, um, after we do our rundown, maybe take five questions from the message board. Interacting with the audience, that's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, I mean – for example, I, I guarantee one of the first responses to this this week will be, "Why didn't you guys talk about Taraja Mitchell? Are we not getting Taraja Mitchell?" We can talk about we can talk about him right now. We can go go for go for Mr. Mitchell. Well, I mean, I, Odell Higgins is a good recruiter. He didn't forget how to recruit, and he's a kid he's had a long term relationship with. You know, the kids opened his recruitment a bit. He's looking at more Clemson, Ohio State being two of the main ones. But as long as he gets back on campus and, you know, he supposedly told rivals May 12th for a date. He told me earlier that it would be this summer, and I believe his mother is coming with him. As long as that visit happens, I still believe FSU stands a great chance of closing that deal. All right. No bitching. We've talked about everything possible. I've given you guys a behind-the-scenes look of both Chris and Josh laying very sensually on a bed of pillows. It's uh, It's been an interesting podcast. So uh, with that, we'll let you guys uh, – Take it all in. Uh, for Chris Nee and Josh Newberg, I'm Brendan Sinone with the Knowles 24-7 Podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone.